0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's *Here's People, Renee Schluckfer, on being a radio announcer and program host during the early days of contemporary Christian music.
1: But I feel like my experience must have paralleled the experience of thousands of other people my age who were in radio professionally, who longed to hear this kind of music on the air, and whose career paths intersected with all of these artists, because as Christian Radio began to be birthed. Of course, all these artists were interested in being on Christian Radio and were just interested in Christian Radio themselves. They themselves had dreamed of it.
0: Renee Schlepfer, next. Renee Schlepfer's involvement at Pilgrim Radio goes back more than 40 years. He not only was an announcer here, but he also hosted contemporary Christian music programs since he was a teenager. As you'll hear, the music really affected his Christian life in a powerful way. For the past 30 years, Renee has pastored Twin Lakes Church in Aptos, California. Renee, it's good to have you with us on this first day of Classics Week. What are some of your earliest recollections of contemporary Christian music? that is a great
1: question, and that brings back so many memories. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for just having me here. It is so good to see you again, Bill, and so good to be just sitting here in these studios where I have so many memories that go back Years, decades. Yes, now. right. Doing the morning show here and uh, and doing a bunch of production work. Oh, those are just wonderful, wonderful memories. But, but you're right. I, I I've been involved with CCM. I was thinking about it when I saw the movie Jesus Revolution, and all of that happening in the late '60s and early '70s. Mm-hmm. And that was really a part of my life. I mean, I was young then, uh, you know, an early teen, really, when a lot of that happened. But Consequently, I was hugely influenced by Larry Norman, specifically, mm. and then some of the people that he brought into his orbit, like Randy Stonehill and others, and then uh, Keith Green as well. Uh, first, Larry Norman, though, yeah. uh, that, that was a huge influence. And it was before Christian contemporary music radio. Really, the Larry Norman influence started with youth group songs, his songs sweet sweet song of salvation and uh i wish we'd all been ready <laughs> i remember singing those songs you know in junior high and high school and we just loved them before we even even had the the inkling that these songs would be on the radio they they sort of were passed along virally if you will
0: what can you tell us about Larry Norman, for those that uh, some some listening to this are going to be very familiar with him, some are not. Yeah, yeah, he was kind of a pioneer of Christian radio.
1: He uh, was working in the Bay Area and in Los Angeles in the secular music world. Mm. But he was one of these guys that uh, came to Christ during sort of the the Jesus Revolution, or at least had a a life-changing experience with the Lord. And he decided, you know, I want to see if I can get... uh, this quality of music uh, available to the kids who are f- starting to flood churches. I mean, all the churches, their, their youth groups were gigantic, and you had all these, you know, long-haired people coming to church. And and uh, he was uh, from San Jose, and he was really involved in kind of the San Jose, San Francisco music scene, and then moved down to Los Angeles. But in both of those places, the Bay Area and L.A., um the youth culture of course was huge it was hugely influential influential rather in the in the secular musical industry there were so many bands coming out of those two cities san francisco and la and since he had ties to both and he knew a lot of the people in those bands he thought you know i bet christian youth culture could really use some songs to sing because believe it or not youth groups were singing songs like bob dylan songs like like blowing in the wind and Peter, Paul and Mary songs, really? because there were no other <laughs> songs to sing. And so he's like, no, we got it. We got to write some Christian music. And so um, so we were starting to sing some of these songs. And that was a great change p- for us, because if there were Christian songs, a lot of them were from the older generation. There were still great songs, but like Ralph Carmichael songs mm-hmm. like uh, Pass It On. It only takes a spark, you know, songs like that. And so these Larry Norman songs were revolutionary for us because they sounded like folk rock songs like Crosby, Stills and Nash or, you know, Joni Mitchell or, you know, Janis Joplin songs like that. And uh, then uh, we started collecting his albums and uh, really loved them and started playing them for our friends, not just Christian friends, but secular friends, too. And slowly started to think, what if we could get these songs on the radio?
0: Hmm. But that was just a pipe dream back in those days. And he was considered, wasn't he, really the father of contemporary Christian music? I think. Well, he- I mean, I would. I, I think a lot of people would say that.
1: Certainly on the West Coast, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, he had, and he was really um, sort of taboo in a lot of churches because he had long blonde hair and he looked like a secular rock and roller. And so a lot of parents were very suspicious of him because of his looks. And, of course, that made him totally credible to us <laughs> as
0: teenagers. <laughs> you know, like, yes, okay, he's authentic. But um, And he paralleled completely. And, and and this week we're talking about this in, in a number of different ways. But right. The Jesus movement or right, the Jesus right. revolution. Exactly.
1: Sure. And at the same time, you had uh, a lot of Christian musicians who, who were – Involved in the secular music world began to attend, for example, Calvary Chapel down at Costa Mesa mm-hmm. or Peninsula Bible Church up in the San Francisco Peninsula where Ray Stedman pastored. But a lot of these people were Christians who were really good musicians or actually had been involved to one degree or another in the secular music world as you know, touring musicians or as studio musicians. And now they wanted to use their musical skills for the Lord. And they started putting out records and doing concerts. And in the in the early days, really, they were uh, being promoted by churches. There really weren't Christian music labels except for the Southern Gospel type labels. And, and that was another whole thread that started down in um, Memphis and Nashville and mm-hmm. Dallas and, and some of those areas where you had some companies and some bands starting. But those weren't the bands we really knew about back in those days because there was no radio. So really, all of this was spreading word of mouth. A hundred percent. Because you weren't listening to it online. Of course, that didn't exist. And there was no Christian music on the radio. Zero. It did not exist. And so it was 100%, you know, albums that were being passed around among friends or concerts that you happened to attend. And so in those days, there was really a a kind of a localization. These bands like Love Song, Gentle Faith, uh, Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, all of those early bands, Keith Green working down in Los Angeles, Uh, those were the West Coast bands. And so those were the bands that we knew because... How would we know about the other bands in Nashville? We didn't live anywhere near Nashville, and there wasn't a way to find out about them
0: until some friend happened to have an album or later a cassette.
1: It's amazing (laughs) to
0: think about, isn't it? It's so fun. Well, it is how how it spread, and and of course, you're a pastor today. And yet back then, I think you mentioned you had the idea, wouldn't it be cool if there was radio or if if somehow you could get these some of these songs on the radio and you've told me this but there was a a group of your friends a group yeah. of you in what the mid-seventies that you actually were able to do that a little bit right. at, and when
1: you were in high school right right exactly it started when i was a freshman or sophomore in high school <laughs> believe it or not well i loved radio and i knew i wanted to go into radio back then back then and um, and so we thought we really want to get these songs on the air so somehow about three of us, and we were all part of the same youth group at Calvary Church in Las Gatos, we decided to try to talk radio stations into – in those days, they had to have public affairs programming. That was part of their license from the FCC, and they could be taken off their, – their license could be taken away from them if they didn't have public affairs programming. And they hated producing it because it was a drag, and it was usually boring. Nobody had good ideas for what that even meant. Mm-hmm. But we said, hey, why don't you let us produce a little Christian music show – And we started out, it was just 10 minutes long, so we called it 600 Seconds. Uh And it had two contemporary Christian music songs in every 10-minute episode and a little devotional that we would do. And finally, somehow, we talked the uh, general manager of the top country western station in the Bay Area. It was K-E-E-N, Keen Radio, 1370 in San Jose. (laughs) and we talked them <laughs> I don't know how but we talked them into letting us have a show because really our music we were not playing country music. No. It was Larry Norman <laughs> and Randy Stonehill and Daniel Amos and these kinds of groups. And but we were on every Sunday morning and we went in I think it was Thursday night into their production studio that looked a lot like the studio we're sitting in right now. <laughs> and um we acted like we knew what we were doing but we were learning on the job and we produced these shows and uh and then left the tapes in the right box, and they got played on Sunday morning. And then much later, uh, still working in the Bay Area. By that time, I'd worked here um, at Pilgrim Radio, then KNIS, and in those days, and I'd worked up at South Lake Tahoe at a radio station, and it's not there anymore. It was called KOWL, it mm-hmm. was a secular station. Mm-hmm. And um, then I moved down to the Bay Area again to go to school, and I worked at a top 40 station, KEZR, and a beautiful music station, K-Bay. So I was starting to work a lot in the the secular field in broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And somehow or another, through the grapevine, I found out who some of the other Christian uh, radio announcers were in the broader Bay Area. And I mean, stretching down to Monterey and up into the city, up into San Francisco. And even up into Marin. So we we kind of started this little community of guys and some women, too, that were working professionally in the secular broadcasting world in the broader Bay Area. And we started daydreaming, too. Wouldn't it be fun to have a Christian radio station where it was really quality? And um, there was a teacher at san jose christian college named jim crane Mm. and uh it's now william jessup university which is over near sacramento now but jim had been one of the early christian music pioneers in the bay area he'd been a, a he'd done concerts done some records uh but then he went into education but he had the same idea so jim and a couple of other people bought time the nighttime slot seven days a week on a local radio station Uh, in the bay area and (laughs) funnily enough the daytime programming at the station was all portuguese (laughs) but at night they were running all contemporary christian music thanks to jim well now jim had bought the time Mm -hmm. but he had no programming experience at all and somehow god only knows but it was the lord's working This informal network of secular radio professionals heard about this, and we end up being the volunteer staff. One of us, every night, would go over and volunteer, and just we were the the disc jockey that night for what was called in those days Star Song. Mm. Now, I don't think it has any connection to the Star Song record label. Mm -hmm. It did become a concert production company eventually, but this was also probably started... Maybe around nineteen eighty. Mm. something like that seventy nine, maybe. And uh, but that was the first Christian radio. Uh, that was regularly featured uh, in a long format in the whole Bay Area. It was a music
0: program, you you played the artists. It was
1: hours of music, um, and Jim's goal, at the time, the biggest format in the secular world, at least in California, was what was called AOR, album-oriented rock. And I think you told me once that you were really into that as a teenager, isn't that Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, you know, all these bands like Yes, and uh, maybe the Doobie Brothers, Jethro Tull, you know, bands like that. Yeah. And so we mimicked that format with Christian music. I mean, there wasn't a lot of it to go around at first, but we were playing Larry Norman, DeGarmo and Key, if you remember DeGarmo and Key. And had Petra emerged. Oh, yeah. Petra was a big mainstay of the playlist Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the Bob Dylan songs from his three uh, Christian albums.
0: And uh, so that was our playlist. And uh, and and we were committed to it. Well, my guest today on His People is Renee Schlumper. He he pastors now the Twin Lakes Church in Aptos, California. But That's right. we're talking about the early days of contemporary Christian music, as particularly contemporary Christian music as it appeared on the radio, and his involvement in that, both as a teenager, and then, of course, he was here at Pilgrim Radio. Tell us a little bit about your time here, Renee. I mean, you were here a couple of times, right? Uh, three, three, three different times. Three, actually. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it started
1: when um, my stepdad was a pastor up at South Lake Tahoe. And he came down here to do a show called Pastors Corner one time. Mm-hmm. And they would have different pastors do little devotionals uh, from from around the area. And he met Tom Hess, who was there, a very, a very young man mm-hmm. who was involved in programming. And I came down with him because he knew I, I loved radio. And at the time... I was actually working at KOWL, the secular station up, in, up at South Lake Tahoe. And uh, Tom and I just kind of hit it off. And Tom said, well, you know, if, there, if there's ever an opening here, would you be interested? And I said, sure, that would be fun. And then there was an opening. And I can't remember where I started, what shift it was. But then I eventually moved to mornings. So at KOWL, my air name was Charlie Rose. Oh, And down here, my air name was Renee Charles. So R and C, but just reversed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's my middle name, Charles. And, so. and,
0: and when did you begin to do the, um, you, you did a, a lot of different things. I mean, you've been an announcer, but you've, your voice is still heard regularly throughout the day at the top of the hour with the legal station identification. I mean, you've been doing those. That's a for, tongue twister. Let me just tell you. But
1: yeah, <laughs> yes, I have.
0: for, yeah, I think
1: probably since those days. So for... 40 years, 45 years, been uh, doing the legal IDs and the bumpers and the liners for Canada. It's <laughs> said Pilgrim radio. It's amazing to think about. But, uh, and then I uh, went off to the Bay Area, worked at a bunch of radio stations and came back and worked here again. And, and then we decided to do the morning shows completely live, I had phone-in, callers, all sorts of contests and so on. And then during that time, I was also producing a Saturday morning format, For We were actually producing a kid's corner and we were, we were reading and dramatizing Christian children's stories Mm. and, uh, and uh, Bible stories from the living Bible with all kinds of, and I was doing different voices and we had some other people at the station that would add their voices and dropping in sound effects and so Mm. on. And, and uh, so that was a lot of fun. And we were also doing, uh, I think we experimented with a nighttime rock show for a while And I don't think that went over very well (laughs) with uh, with the broader audience at the time. But uh, probably some of the stuff that we aired that would have been considered rock in those days now is considered pretty mellow for contemporary Christian music.
0: I I wanted to ask you, too, about a program that you did back in those days. I don't know that it aired here. It might have, but you tell us. But it was called something like Story behind the song you you right right i think
1: that did air here for a while okay so bob carlson was one of the i think original announcers here at pilgrim radio and then he moved back to san francisco and started his own production company and he was doing all kinds of things commercials and voiceovers for things and and he came up with this idea for story behind the song And found a sponsor for it. And so we had the funds to to do it. And the idea was every episode was five minutes long and we would feature a few bars of a song, but then we would go to interviews with the artist who either wrote the song or performed the song or both. And we would ask them, well, what's the story behind the song? And it it was usually something pretty interesting, funny or moving or touching. And uh, so they were very short. And then there was a short little like 30-second commercial that we also produced that was part of that. And uh, so those were fun and took me... into a lot of fun interviews with artists because while most of those interviews were done either by Bob or by other what we call stringers, people that he hired that were freelancers that Mm -hmm. did these interviews, a lot of the artists, I was living down in the Bay Area in those days. So a lot of these artists would come and do concerts there. And I'd have the chance to go in after the concert and interview them about different songs that that would all have been set up by Bob's agency. And it was really fun to meet many of these artists who stands out. Amy Grant, so super friendly, Mm. um, super extrovert, super friendly. Mm. In fact, after our interview, she invited me and my little sister who happened to be tagging along to go out to dinner with her and her, uh, band, Wow. And she's like, come out to dinner with us. <laughs> That's the first time that ever happened it's, with any any artist, but, but ultra friendly, uh, super nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Duncan from Sweet Comfort Band, yeah. and then he went into solo work as well. He was very thoughtful and... Very, He surprised me with his uh, uh, candor about how difficult it was to make a living in Christian music. Mm. He said all the guys in Sweet Comfort and he himself, to that point, had always had second jobs. And I said, well, what's your second job? He said, I lay carpet. Mm. And he said, that's what I do yeah. back at home because I have to have a job to make ends meet. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's that's interesting. I mean, just in those days, except for the very rare uh, group or solo artist, it, it just was not a career choice, really. These people were doing it, really, truly, out of love for Jesus, sincerely, and uh, they just wanted to get that message out. And they knew that they were musically talented, and that this God had given them that gift, and they wanted to do it. So, I mean, it was early days, but a lot of other, a lot of other people. Uh, Larry Norman, of course, and uh, you met him too, Randy Stone. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, several times. And uh, they were all nice. No bad stories to tell. They were <laughs> they were all great people who loved talking about their music and loved talking about Jesus. And they were all very friendly. And um, it was encouraging. Actually, in those days, it was so. I mean, it was just put together with uh, you know chewing gum and paper clips. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big industry yet. They were driving from concert to concert, except for some really unusually large. Uh, well-known acts like maybe Amy Grant, they Mm. were all driving like to their next gig in station wagons. And uh, (laughs) so things changed for a while. I think it's beginning to be hard with streaming for some of these musicians to make a living again. But back in those days, it was truly a labor of love. Second chapter of Acts, so many of these great, great bands. You met them too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So so great. It was fun because I feel like as a radio professional for about 12 years, I just worked full-time in radio mostly secular radio Mm -hmm. and um but i feel like my experience must have paralleled the experience of thousands of other people my age who were in radio professionally who longed to hear this kind of music on the air and whose career paths intersected with all of these artists because as christian radio began to be birthed of course all these artists were interested in being on Christian radio and were just interested in Christian radio themselves. They themselves had dreamed of it. Yeah. And so it was almost like we were on the same page in trying to get this thing off the ground. But, but um, the Imperials, that was a great interview because um, somebody has these interviews somewhere. These, these are precious treasures, but um, I'll never forget uh, two of the original Imperials that I interviewed after one of their concerts. Um, I asked them what it was like. After I asked them a, about a couple of their songs, I just took a chance. This wasn't in our pre-agreed interview questions, but I said, "Let me ask you a question. You sang for many years as the backup vocal band to Elvis Presley before they became a Christian really? singing group. Yeah, The, all the Imperials sang as his backup band for many years. And I said, "What? What can you tell me about Elvis and and his faith?" And they started crying. Just Mm. bawling. And I said, I'm sorry if I I hit a nerve. And they said, no, it's just that we know his faith was sincere. Mm. And we used to sit around the piano and just sing him, sing old Southern gospel songs. And he knew them by heart. They said when he wanted to listen to music or he wanted to sing music, not on stage, just his own whatever, you know, he personally wanted to hear or personally wanted to sing at home. He said it was always Christian music. And he read the Bible, but they said he just got surrounded by a bad group of people Mm -hmm. and made some bad choices. And uh, they said, you know, as far as we're concerned, uh, you know, the Lord, God is a God of mercy. And, uh, you know, they said it's sad because we all have made bad choices in life and he happened to die at the bottom of a bad series of bad choices, but what if, like so many of us, mm-hmm. you know, he could have, by the grace of God, rallied. And who knows what he could have gone on. But they, they said the real Elvis we knew deep in his heart was somebody who loved the Lord. So, I mean, I didn't know Elvis, but I'm talking to people who did and and who were solid
0: believers. And that, that was yep. their perspective. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, too, uh, at least I understand that a uh, person we haven't talked about yet to this point, but was very, I, I guess you could say, influential or in contemporary Christian music. He emerged, I think, in the mid to late 70s, but Keith Green. Yeah. yeah. And, and he had an influence on you, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, along
1: with Larry Norman, I think he was the other guy that had a personal influence on me so much when I was a young man and and um, had a chance to meet him and see several of his mm. concerts. And, and uh, then his widow, Melody Green, uh, ended up years later attending our church down in Santa Cruz uh, with her husband and was so... What a lovely person. I mean, on, honestly, every one of these people, in my experience, has truly loved the Lord and been uh, kind, uh, kind people. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have all have different personalities, and some of them have different struggles, yeah. like human beings do. Right. But uh, But in terms of their faith, they were definitely solid. But Melody was a lovely person. I didn't know Keith. I just... You know, saw him, mm-hmm. met him briefly, but I really got to know Melody very well, and and uh, she was a wonderful person. Is a wonderful person, but uh, it's interesting thinking back to Keith Green. We were talking about this uh, just the two of us uh, earlier. I started out loving his more biting songs. Mm-hmm critical of the church and of christians type songs like "Asleep in the light mm-hmm. and so you want to go back to egypt yeah. and to b- obey is better than sacrifice and and kind of you could say harsh reproving a, a reproving yeah and prophetic if you will and i love them and i think they probably helped me mm-hmm. in my own spiritual growth but looking back i think Uh, You know there's always unintended consequences of these things and and for me I think and some of my contemporaries they also fed my Angry young male Mm -hmm. sense of self-righteousness and and yeah those church people need to get more radical for Jesus type Mm -hmm. of stuff But later in my spiritual growth. I I kind of moved on to his Jesus focused songs and I think this a lot of this was Melody's influence because, of course, she co-wrote There is a Redeemer, hmm. one of his best-known songs with him. But songs like Oh Lord, You're Beautiful and Make My Life a Prayer to You, these songs began to mean more to me. And I think they began to mean more to him, too. If you look at his final album, uh, um, it, you know, it's the it's the one on the cover. He has a lamb on his shoulder and he's smiling. Mm-hmm. And all the songs there are songs of worship and many of them based on the Psalms, but they're all Jesus-directed songs. He's looking up in adoration at Jesus instead of pointing the finger at other Christians. And uh, and I think that was part of his own spiritual journey, and that paralleled the spiritual journey that I was on as well. Ultimately, I think that's healthier, mm-hmm. uh, a healthier place to be spiritually. I, I don't know that people really... I don't know that it's very effective to, as a default on the daily, be pointing your finger at people and telling them how they should improve. Uh, I mean, of course that's called for from time to time. Mm -hmm. You come up to a brother as a trusted friend and you put your arm around his shoulder and and you uh, have that correction moment. That's part of discipleship. But generally speaking as a posture, I don't know that that's very effective. Uh, I don't know that people uh, listen when you're always pointing a finger at them. But you know what I think they do when you're not pointing a finger at anything, but you're just looking up. Think of it when people come into a space where everybody's looking up at something. They're not even telling you you should look up, but they're all standing there (laughs) staring up at something. Well, you want to look at that thing, too. And you become part of that group that's looking. And I think that became more of what Keith was doing with his music was he was just beholding the face of Jesus saying oh lord you're beautiful and ultimately i think that's a better witness for christians and actually more effective if you will evangelistically and for spiritual growth is to behold the face of Jesus and as paul says in second corinthians you know we become like him and you know, from glory to glory we become like him as we behold his face mm-hmm. so
0: um that's where keith went and i think that's where it's a healthy place to be spiritually i mean you, we're, we're looking back over what 50 years more than 50 years now of contemporary christian music how important would you say it is i mean in, in the in your individual life but then more broadly in the life of of the christian church i mean a lot of those songs david mees I Amy mean, grant some of their songs are in hymnals now exactly you know i think it was a real burst of creativity and continues to be uh what i
1: love that i'm seeing now is A lot of churches are producing really good music Mm -hmm. from their worship pastors who are really just doing it as part of their ministry there at the church somehow that seems uh i don't know if i want to say pure or more organic but it's just neat to see the lord using churches it's almost come full circle because people forget As we said earlier, a lot of that music, Love Song and the Calvary Chapel music, the music coming out of Peninsula Bible Church in the Bay Area. I mean, that was all being sponsored, underwritten, so to speak, by churches, not record companies back in those days. And it's almost come full circle again, where churches are once again becoming the the font of this kind of music which is very beautiful to me. Now, mm-hmm. of course, I'm going to say that as a pastor, but, but I love that because really, if you look at the history of Western music, so much of what we love in Western music came out of the church, even back to the classical music era. It's only relatively recently in the early 20th century that you have music companies come out as being sort of the nexus of why people are listening to what style of music. But uh, for centuries and centuries, really it was bubbling out of churches and out of uh, church music ministers. And I see that happening again. And that's very exciting, but you're right. I think that the CCM movement starting in the late sixties, early seventies, and then as it began to blossom into the eighties, uh, really was essential in the spiritual growth of a lot of us who were coming of age during that time. Because we were being told, many of us, to burn our secular records. And uh, I remember our my own childhood church went through a phase where they asked people to bring in their records and and burn them and to, that all guys should have short hair only and uh, and just just don't listen to any pop music at all. And I think that was uh, mistaken and uh, maybe from well-intentioned motives, mm-hmm. but, but I think that was the wrong direction. But during that era where we were sort of casting around for, well, what do we listen to? This gave us a, a great option. And in a way, really, I, I didn't buy into all that stuff. I didn't burn my records, <laughs> but it's still, CCM back in those days still really, you could say, discipled us. Um, There weren't even back then the resources there are now for small group Bible studies. There certainly weren't the resources for youth groups and for young adult ministry. And so in many ways, artists became the long distance disciples for us when people like keith green would write about bible stories in an insightful way or would write music based on psalms or when companies like maranatha music would come out with music whole albums that were putting psalms to music it helped us memorize those bible verses it helped us to understand them better and it they became a fabric of our lives so we were doing what for example paul tells us to do in ephesians we were singing and making music in our heart to the lord as part of our process, and and that was essential. I really don't know where my spiritual growth would be today if not for that exposure to CCM back in the early
0: days. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Renee Schlepfer, former Pilgrim Radio announcer and pastor at Twin Lakes Church in Aptos, California. Coming up on tomorrow's program, former Christian record company executive Stan Moser with a behind the scenes look at the people who made contemporary Christian music possible. Shortly after that, uh, Billy Ray Hearn,
1: who was the head of AR at that point for uh, one of the head of A&R, two of the guys at were started a label called Murr Records. Uh, and Murr Records, uh, some of the early artists on that were people like uh, Petra. In the very early days, and second chapter of Acts, which many people would be familiar with. Sure. So all of a sudden, I started hearing and getting introduced to contemporary Christian music,
0: uh, that obviously was being burst uh, out of the Jesus movement. Uh, there was a connection there. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here, on His People. Thanks for listening.